just a good old boy, never meaning no harm. Beats all you never saw, been in trouble with the law since the day they was born. Good old boys. I'm Mark. Bog Beef. Fredo. Still got it? Hanging in there. Let's get that money. <laughs> oh, man. Um, a lot going on this week. Um, how you before, doing? Well, before you popped in, I was talking with Fredo, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sick. You can probably tell by my voice, uh, sore throat. And, you know, there are just some I, – I don't know w- what happened in the news. In, like, the last five days, I've been in a fugue state. So, you know, mm. hopefully hopefully we're not at war with China or anything. But, you know, I was saying to Fredo, there are some people who just never get sick. You've, you've known people like this, right? Yeah, my dad. Y- yeah, uh, and, and I noticed this about one of my uh, – my two grandparents who lived a really long time, they never got sick. You just, you just would never have a cold, never caught the flu, nothing like that. I think that's the secret to living a long time is you just never get sick. So I'm definitely going to die at like 63. Just throwing <laughs> that out there in case you're making so, any long-term GOB plans. That's real. I've had this discussion with uh, my fiance before. That's real dude stuff, like dying real young. Like that's kind of like our thing. Women don't really be doing that. You know what I mean? <laughs> This fellas is in base to die young. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's just having like a colossal heart attack at like fifty-eight years old out of nowhere, leaving your wife behind. That's 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 this is very Lindy, very man hours right there. Somebody in chat asks, is the bat flu? Nah, it's not the bat flu, it's just sore throat fever. Just your run of run of the mill sickness. It's not even something cool like, you know, something cool and dangerous like the bat flu. I'm kind of curious. Uh, I, I mean, right. Well, I, you know, the guy died, the guy dying at like, you know, 65, whatever. Always, it, that's always like those, uh, you know, classic stories like baby boomer and like the, um, uh, and the rust belt or whatever, just works himself. So and like, they just like die of old age at like 58 or something. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? My grandfather had, I believe, seven brothers, and I never met any of them because they all died right around the age I'm at right now, to be honest with you. My grandfather lived, like, decently long. I think he was in his early 70s when he died, so not super long, but not not nothing crazy. His brothers all died between, like, 40 and 55. Now I think about that happened on my mom's side of the family. All the, all the, um, the men punched out really early almost all before I was born, but my granny and her sister, they lived to like, you know, moving in on a hundred. There's something to this. Yeah. Um, Asian women live the longest. I w- I'm just curious. Uh, it just seems like the kind of thing that you would have uh, some kind of conspiracy. I mean, do you have any theories, Fredo, on guy that never gets sick? Like, what do you think is the most likely thing that that is? My guess to that is that, I have this whole thing that like people like you're it's someone whose genetics are well suited to their environment. Right. Which is we're all mixed up. So you don't even know what genetics you're necessarily getting. But I, I feel like you're more prone to get sick if you're like, uh, especially if you're like a med guy or something and you're living in like Boston or something like that. That's not, I feel like that's not good. Like you're going to, you're going to get sick a lot. You're not, you're not adapted to the fauna of that environment. Oh man, that that's really trad. That's like a, a um, 
Oh, who was the Greek the Greek doctor, the humor's doctor? I'm gonna bog beef it. Galen, right? Was it Galen? Whatever. That was one of his like. You, you need to get stay away from the humid air. It's because it caused your Hippoc- your black. Was that Hippocrates? I, I don't know. It's going to cause your black bile phlegm to grow. You need to be in a, you, you, as befitting your constitution, you need to be in a dry, cool area, right? It's, it's Hippocrates because you, you got to you have to take the Hippocratic oath. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll believe you. Uh, yeah, my um, yeah, uh, I'm I'm uh, you know, uh, where Scottish and other stuff, uh, Scotch Irish, yeah, uh, skin cancer. Took out my grandpa. Skin cancer is a serious thing. I, there, that guy um, from JHS Pedals, I've talked about him before. He's, I don't think the general audience would know who he is, but he's a pretty famous influencer. Uh, he's like in his late 40s and he's he's already got, he, he's had uh, like skin cancer is kind of thing where it's like um, it can be like no big, no big deal or like it can get into, it can get into stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's a there's like a drastic like range of outcomes you can have to your point. It could just be like boop, cut it out, never think about it again, all the way to, you know, you could die, like unfortunately, right? And yeah. Josh, it's, uh, go ahead, sorry. Sorry, yeah, Josh and JHS, he had a he had a big scare about that. But uh I don't want to talk about uh that too much. But um That's see. one of those racist cancers too doesn't affect the brothers. It's only the people from the mountain to the Caucasus. Well, I guess in Asians too. Yeah. I worked at a, a grocery store for a while and, um, it was like an even split of brothers, uh, Mexicans, white guys. And, um, like the, fir- like the first time I heard like, like, uh, deep, like, uh, you know, deep Twitter, uh, racial theory, <laughs> was from the black guys uh at this at this uh at at the grocery store they said that uh only the white guys can work the uh uh work dairy because you're um <laughs> like like if you work in the frozen food you you know you still you're you're not inside the cooler uh generally i'm guessing at some places maybe they have some way you can do that but uh if you work dairy you're like uh you know you you're working like inside the cooler um, and they, they had all these racial theories. The only white people were, were uh, <laughs> had the genetics to do that. Kind of funny. Um, I don't know. Do, are, do black people, they're probably mostly lactose in, intolerant, right? Yeah, almost entirely. Yeah. That's, uh, I assume that's like, uh, well, if your ancestors raised had, had, did the herd thing then you probably can drink milk as an adult right mostly so the gene for like generally speaking like in a vacuum humans <laughs> of be, course he knows this <laughs> yeah right. it shouldn't be like be drinking milk right because it's like it's it's like for another animal but it uh the gene for like adult lactose tolerance comes from northern europe i believe it's scandinavia it's not exclusively limited to there, but that's where it started and it spread out from there. Yeah, I uh, I got that. And like, I don't know if this is it's the kind of um because like you can be allergic to something to lo- and love it. My mom loves pumpkin, of course. Uh, you know, she's a white woman. That's like a big a big Twitter <laughs> joke is white women love pumpkin. Uh, but um, so I I I love milk. I I was like I was like how how could people 
stand you know being allergic to milk i drink milk every day it's it's the greatest thing like it's just awesome but um uh pumpkin by the way is one of those things like that stereotypes the same thing with like watermelon and black people like who doesn't love pumpkin or watermelon you know what i mean like i don't know to me you're crazy if you don't love both of those things so it just seems like it's an easy thing to stick on anybody yeah i i love what i mean obviously i'm i'm I've been told that, like, uh, you know, people on Twitter, they have different things they're known for and stuff. I've been told that basically, like, posting watermelon is is my biggest thing. So uh, I'm yeah. guilty as charged. Well, I mean, watermelon is a southern thing and stuff. Like, this happens all the time. Like, there'll be southern things like, oh, eating fried chicken and watermelon. Uh, that's, you know, that that's just southern. And most black people were from the south until uh, the Great Migration. That's where that comes from. Yeah, but have you have you heard the old wives' tale about black people and fried chicken? Uh, I don't think so. No, these old timers told me this. They said that basically, uh, so when you fry the chicken, you know, it like it, it's like the chicken is encased in this in the breading, right? Right. They said that like uh, basically, uh, this is one of these things. that's probably made up, but it's it's a good <laughs> it's a good story. So it's uh, you know the good story works. Uh, they said, like, you know, you know, they had these sundown towns. Black people had to be out of town by dark. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that it was either that or they just black people had like they had to walk back. Either way, uh, there was like uh, either they had to go back home, walking home when the sun when the sun went down. And so uh, your chicken would stay your you would have like because the chicken is encased in this breading, it stays better longer. This is why. They would always buy the fried chicken. That's bullshit. I don't believe that. It's a good. It's a good conspiracy theory. It's right? not because fried chicken is great. Like that's kind of implied. That like I, I'm going to generally say that's racist because like of course of course black people <laughs> like fried chicken. It's fried chicken. You who doesn't love fried chicken? If you're southern, you love it. I, I don't. I yeah. I, I don't subscribe to this theory. Yeah. Well. Anyways. Um. By yeah, the way. Black Pill Cat, who has never had pumpkin, asks if it's widely consumed. Uh, I think it's pretty much it's it's always in other things. Like people don't just generally eat pumpkin normally. It's usually pie, bread. It's like in flavoring for coffee, muffins, you know, stuff like that. Well, he said consumed outside of North America. Maybe not. Maybe Europeans do not have this technology yet. I think it's our thing, right? Like that's from the Americas. Am I right about that? Like, Probably. I don't think they had that in Europe pre-Columbian. I think yeah. you're right. Yeah, and the watermelon thing, you know, uh, you know, Japanese people also consider themselves like uh, the 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 big uh, watermelon uh, consumers. They famously they'll have this big auction, and people will buy the finest watermelons for like you know hundreds of dollars and stuff. Yeah, Meta Prime says milk is made to provide nutrients for growing bodies. Literally, a drink made for living. Nothing better. I one time my granny's really old now, and she's you know you know how old people get there, they're not always you know they can't remember things sometimes you know when you get old, and like she was drinking a glass of milk and I was like oh you like milk too just politely making conversation, and she looked at me like an idiot and she said yes milk is the most perfect food it has everything you need in it just like she was talking to a, like a, a like a three year old child like it's <laughs> it is true like I, I I'll meet people who say they don't like they're not lactose intolerance you just don't like milk and they don't drink it I, I don't understand that I don't I don't this is one of the things that just I'm not entirely convinced you're a human being 
Well, I mean, I, I mean in terms but, of being the perfect food, I mean, bodybuilders use it all the time. Even, I mean, all the protein powders, I mean, it's it's a milk protein. It's just, you know, it's purified to powder form and they take the, basically the fat and the sugar out of it. But yeah, it's the milk proteins that you're, you're trying to get there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> watermelon also, you know, watermelon is, uh, it's, I, mean, it's, I tried growing watermelon before and, um, it's, it's not easy to grow watermelon. Really? And it's not easy to grow in Florida. Well, mine didn't come out good. Hmm. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, the, the Mennonites here grow them like crazy and, and grow pretty good ones. I don't know what the secret is. I've never even, I don't think I've ever even tried to grow a watermelon. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's see what's going on. Japanese love kabocha, which is basically pumpkin. I'm not a big pumpkin guy. I'm not really sure what's going on with that. I mm. do pump, pumpkin everything all day long, man. Yeah, me too. It's like one of my favorites. <laughs> I mean, if they had like, if you're, well, I don't know. It, it's, is it a umami thing? Because like, you wouldn't have candy flavored pumpkin. Yeah, you would. There's, I mean, they make they make uh, uh, a lot a lot of sweets that are pumpkin flavored. Hmm. Oh, uh, Roach Roach VDK, not not hip to some GOB lore. Says you have Mennonites in Virginia. Hell yeah, there's a lot of a lot of Mennonites here, and especially in the Valley Dayton community, they kind of kind of followed the the Appalachians down from Pennsylvania. And they have they make the the best food and it's a, they have a, they have great delis and stuff too. So, uh, anyways, uh, I was I was watching videos earlier and there was this there's this um, big channel uh, alternate history and they had this video oh, about yeah. the, this little story that they made a movie out of it with um can't think of who's it, it, they made a major for TV movie about the story but the story is this they had this small town. Uh, in Missouri, oh, was it the 70s or the 60s or something like that? Sometimes, probably this, it was in the, the 70s or the 80s, 70s and 80s. And <clears throat> small town, and there's a local guy that's basically a, a, a huge bastard. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't raised right. Um, he married like a 13-year-old girl. Or 12, I mean, like he he... I don't know when he married her, but he Ugh. was, he basically, the guy was, was like a pedophile, a drunk. He was, uh, just a, a huge bastard to basically everybody in the town. And, uh, he killed somebody one day. Uh, I don't even know if it was the first time, but just like a, just like a local piece of shit. You know what I mean? I like I heard this story too. Like just a, a generic piece of shit. And, uh, but people brought up roadhouse and that was brought up in the video, but yep. Roadhouse is the guy was, uh, a big shot. This guy's like just a, a, a bottom feeding scumbag. This guy's not rich or anything, but he's just a bastard. We had a guy, we had a guy like that where I grew up, uh, very, very, like a few houses down for me who eventually ended up, uh, burning down a disabled guy's house and then, uh, killing the minister that lived across the street with an ax. So yeah, that. Guys like that, shit can go bad. Yeah, and so uh, uh, just a huge pain in the ass. And you know, one day uh, he gets arrested for killing somebody, and you know he's got uh, somehow the, the they didn't collect the evidence properly or something, and he gets off. And like this is 
and he's been in and out of jail and stuff. And he's always, it seems like he's out of jail more often than he is. Although he just walks around as a, as a walking wave of destruction. And so after he, after he gets acquitted, the they have a town meeting, a town meeting and the town isn't that many people. It's, you know, less than a thousand people. And like, uh, 80 men show up to this meeting and the meeting was ostensibly to form a what a neighborhood watch, uh, to watch out for, uh, this big, this big bastard. And instead the next day, uh, they all drove over and, uh, the guy and this bastard is full of holes. Uh, like they just all, they had a meeting. They're like, let's just go kill him. Like, okay, let's do it. And the whole town, like all these, these prominent men in the town, they just went over there and they just, they killed him and nobody talked. And that's basically, uh, and that's mm -hmm. like, that, there's no more part of that story. Uh, and you can watch the video. I mean, that's not really the, I'm not trying to retell the story, but, uh, and I recommend people go watch it. It's on alternative history. I think it's the most recent one, uh, but it just strikes you all kinds of different things. But first off, what you find, go in the comments of that video. Like you're going to see hundreds of people saying, my grandma told us about the same kind of thing happening in our little town in Kentucky, our little town in Alabama, our little, you know what I'm saying? Yes. This is like, I remember the story. I, it was like a, one of those, you remember back when, like there, when like the History Channel and stuff, and those channels like actually had like educational things on them before they were just a space aliens and Bigfoot. So like, this yeah. was this been way back in like the nineties or early two thousands. They did like a, they had a little mini documentary, you know, half an hour about this story or maybe an hour, and they like everybody in the town knew exactly who 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 it was that killed them. Or like more than one person, but nobody would talk. It was like, yeah, we they just all agreed we we had to get rid of this guy. He was gonna he was gonna cause more more problems. And it's like that wasn't that wasn't an unusual thing. We kind of alluded to this in a in a recent <laughs> live uh, episode when we were talking about like you know lynching. It's like lynching wasn't ex wasn't explicitly like political or racial it was just how people de dealt out vigilante justice on people in the past and like this is this was pretty this was common maybe not in the 70s that's kind of what makes that story so unusual is how late it happened but i know as late as the 50s and 60s here i heard stories of that kind of went this way more like vendetta Stories like somebody killed somebody's brother, he got out of jail, and then he wound up dead by some railroad tracks in Florida. Stuff like that. Like this is just this is pretty much how people behaved up until extremely recently. Yeah, there's a lot, uh, and there was a um the the movie is called No One Saw a Thing. Uh, the guy's the fellow's name was uh Ken Rex McElroy. And <laughs> wow, that's like a central casting bad guy name, isn't it? Yeah. Rex McElroy. This guy's like stalking little girls and yeah. just like a huge piece of shit. And what's there's so many so first off, what you find is like um uh like sixty people killed him. Sixty regular people. I mean sixty people could do something like when you this is I'm always I I'm like a big numbers guy and like numbers change everything, right? And so like sixty people doing a strange thing is uh it 
unless they're like part of a cult or um uh somehow <laughs> re- like specifically recruited to that place like 60 navy seals doing something is different than just like 60 random ass townsfolk of missouri doing something changes things but so that like if that if they're doing stuff like that first off you can just assume that uh this is just the way people are and you that and people just do things like this uh then i'm sure that things like this happen all over second off um the 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 fbi and and the police like didn't give a shit about this dude until they killed him then they're trying they're coming and they're trying to 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 find out who did it which is uh i mean this is i don't know man there's <laughs> something has happened i talked about this last week like when, like when you read about the the casey anthony thing uh we just need like a, a philosophical reset of like uh Okay, it's okay for the judge. Like, uh, maybe it's okay for a judge to sort of think about uh, justice in terms of like, um, uh, like the the rules of the game. But the public, it should be like, did they do it? Do they deserve it? You know what I'm saying? Okay. To me, this is really simple, and I'll try to reframe this to not go over well well worn ground about it. So did you see this viral clip recently, like last few days on Twitter, where there's this guy, he had a hog, and the hog's in a pen, and the guy has this 30 you know, 6 whatever, and he shoots the hog in the head, the hog falls over, it kicks a little bit, and it dies. Because like, this is what you, if you if you raise a hog to eat, and you don't, you know, you don't take it to, to, some, to let somebody else kill it, this is what you do, you shoot it in the head, it dies, you butcher it, and you eat it. This is like... This has happened uh, billions of times in human history. Nobody in human history, and in fact, like the, if you showed this to some random person from a couple hundred years ago, like they would probably say, "Wow, I can't believe you wasted a you wasted a bullet on a hog." That's that's really you, you must be a softy. That's kind of wasteful. And people on Twitter were like, oh, "This is horrible. This should be illegal. This person should go to jail." And it's like if you think about that. If you think about that reaction, the reaction to seeing somebody kill livestock to be butchered and turned into food, and that reaction that, that it gives them this gut level, you know, disgust and 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 like in sadness and like well no not sadness anger, that's the reaction of like uh like a little haughty prince in in in, in you know in. 1500 it's like somebody with a dainty little soft-handed boy who who's never had to do anything right that that's how you that's how he would react because he just doesn't understand how the world works and my point here is that like in like modernity or whatever you want to call it everybody is that now because we've become so wealthy and with the the way you know the way things are brought to us and the what current wage labor system Everybody is that person. They don't have any conception of how human he- beings actually behave. So the idea that you do like this crazy, not crazy, this vigilante execution of a, a pedophilic murderer would horrify them. And they would want the FBI to step in and punish the people responsible because they can't imagine doing that themselves because they're a little Lord Fauntleroy. Spiritually, everybody is that now. Well, well put. I mean, I don't know, man. This it's like um, this has come up. People, I didn't even think about this, but this has come up with this uh, 
the the new president of El Salvador, where uh, yeah, they had like a <laughs> what's what's weird is like when you talk to progressives, like they just it's going back to that thing of the Casey Anthony thing where like there's people that are like, oh like. They're like, oh, of course she did it, but the court didn't prove that she did it. So, of course, like, she should go, like, and all this, like, you're just, it's the same thing. Like, they never, they just always, like, well, the criminal and the criminal has rights and all that. But, like, you're, you're getting lost in the sauce there. Like, like, you gotta, like, what, what's really going on? Like, what's really going on is they had thousands of people that were like gigantic pieces of shit. And, like, uh, you know, there's back and forth to that. Like, uh, there's nothing that says like you get to be a gigantic piece of shit and nobody yeah. should be able to do anything about it. Well, you you hit on a po- a, a important point earlier, and uh, and I want Fredo to weigh on on this being a, a a legal man. It it is important for judges and maybe even lawyers to take this procedural view of the law, because you if if you don't have that, then things can go awry. But that doesn't mean that regular people have to have this attitude at all. And it's in fact unhealthy when, when they do that. Fredo as a, as a, I mean, I know you're not a criminal lawyer, obviously, but as a person who has studied the law, like when you look at these, well, the thing that people was like getting off on a technicality, do you like, do you view it differently as an, as, as the average person because you were trained in law? I mean, maybe I do in that, like when someone gets off on a technicality, I don't like it, but I understand, I understand the necessity of it due to the fact that like they exist for a reason, right? The fact that that person got off on a technicality is awful. And it's, that's the cop shouldn't have messed up or the prosecutor shouldn't have messed up and created that situation. But without that situation, you know, you or I could get railroaded, yeah. uh, you know, for no good reason into into being guilty. So that's I mean, I, I guess that answers your question. Yeah, I am able to kind of like see that and make that distinction What I'm it's a very different phenomenon than like the the no charging stuff that we're seeing, right? Like right. we have these D.A.s in the inner cities that are just like, oh, well, like, yeah, we know the guy shoplifted, but. Uh, you know, social justice can't charge them. That's like a whole different ball of wax to me. That's why, like, it's hard for me to fall into like the you know tough on crime, easy on crime thing on like a personal level because stuff like that drives me bonkers. Where like they don't charge people for anything from shoplifting to assault to like whatever the case might be. On the other hand, you know, I oppose the death penalty. Like, I think that solitary confinement should not be used for punitive purposes, only for for safety, because I do think that's cruel and unusual punishment. You know what I mean? Things like that of that nature. But also El Salvador, like I understand they're doing what had to be done there because you're talking about organized crime in that case, which mm-hmm. is like a different that's a different level of, uh, you know, I guess, punitive justice that you have to deal with when you're dealing with that kind of thing. Thank you for making that distinction because this is, this is the key right here, what he said. Uh, you do need people in society, people who've got a pretty fast hamster wheel upstairs who can, who can do what he's doing right now. When you have people who are maybe not as sharp as, as Fredo trying to, to think this way, it, it becomes it becomes a mess. And in the case of El Salvador, look, I don't I don't know if the current if, if the current stats have changed, but 
uh, in the mid, maybe early 2000s, whatever. It's been a while, but like a third of the population of Salvador at that time was in the United States, uh, both as immigrants and refugees and whatever. It was like something absurd, like, uh, I might be overstating it, but it was it was like a quarter, third of the population was here because El Salvador was such a shithole, people were fleeing it. Murders, and, murders are down 50% this year from last year. Well, and, and part of why that is, I'm, I'm sure you've seen, is that they also changed the, the legal definition of murder, which is that it's own, they don't, they're, they're counting murders as a criminal, a, a criminal kills the innocent a, a civilian, uh, a criminal kills a cop, and that's it. Like, if, if, a criminal's kill, if the cops kill the criminals, they ain't counting that as a murder, which I thought was really funny. And, like, you shouldn't. Like, that, that, that's, you shouldn't do that. And I'm sh- and if you've seen the videos of, like, they moved all these guys into what was called a super prison. I don't know, I guess their version of Supermax, Grande Max or whatever. They, all these guys were just covered head to toe in, in gang tats. And like Fredo said, this isn't, I would go a step beyond calling it organized crime. This is basically like band, like, they're like banded armies. Once you reach a certain stage, you're not even organized crime anymore. You've got people who are just, like uh, outlaw bandits who threaten the very fabric of your society. And by the way, just throwing them in the supermax is like the compassionate thing to do. If you go back in the history, like what we call the West was basically created because of this large scale program where almost every crime was punished by execution. It's like these people in, in, in most points in history, they wouldn't even be getting this, the cell and the three square meals a day. They would just been, you know, hanged or beheaded immediately. Yeah. Uh, also, I mean, we talked about this. I said this like uh, a year or six months before Trump started bringing up the, the idea of uh, murdering drug dealers. <laughs> and uh, to reiterate, I, I've got some specifics on this. Like one of the most interesting ones is... Um, <clears throat> Republican action against drugs. Republican action against drugs was an Irish Republican vigilante group active mainly in Derry, surrounding area. Uh, it targeted drug dealers. The group's method included shooting the drug dealers' arms and legs, pipe bomb and arson attacks on the houses of drug dealers, and threatening or murdering the drug dealers. Uh, so, and for like from what I've heard, this was very popular. People loved it. It was like a sensation. Yes, this is one of the way groups like that gain power in the first place. Yeah. Uh because like what's the downside if you're not like uh I don't know for for I don't I don't understand who who this is a downside for. Well I don't you can look think about when turn the clock back a couple weeks ago when there were these news reports about an, an uptick in fentanyl deaths in places like San Francisco because p- people who were like, you know, rich, not maybe not rich, but like upper middle class people were buying cocaine that was laced with fentanyl and dying from it. And this became like a huge deal in the, in the government, you know, in San Francisco, whatever, was giving out free testing strips and stuff. Like, well, those people, they care a lot about whether or not dealing drugs is legal or not. It's like those people care. And if you know, if you're hooked into the patronage network, these exact kind of people, these gangs were used as political operatives in the 60s. And I mean, 
they maybe they still are and we just don't know about it. It was the the difference between the '60s and now is that they were very a lot more open about this about this relationship because there are a couple of tell-all books like Tom Wolfe, etc. It's like yeah, I mean there there is a reason for it, and that's no good for regular people, but there are people who do benefit from it. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, that's all. I, that's all I got on that. Uh, other stuff I. I was just going to say, related to that, uh, this week, one of the, we don't have to go too far into it, but one of the 2A cases making its way through the courts right now is, you know how when you go to buy a firearm on the 4473, they ask you uh, if you've done illegal drugs or whatever? Mm -hmm. That is being challenged, actually, which is kind of funny. I, I get it, like, and I support, I guess, the challenge, but like of all the two A challenges that to get yeah. fired up about, this is the one that I am least passionate about. I guess I would say. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I don't know. Just once again, it's like um, these kinds of tools and like philosophy and um, shit like that. Uh, it's it's just not. Like you said, I mean, it's it's one thing in the hands of a judge. It's a different thing when you start yes. passing this out to uh, fifth graders and you tell them to think like this primordially, where this is like, it's not the first thought. It's it's not like, um, it's, it'd be like, it would be like if you experienced your, like, your sexuality as a pickup artist. Like, do you, you don't, like, that's not where it's, like, it starts. Like, the pickup <laughs> artist starts because... You just have this like internal like I want to get laid, but I can't get laid. So now I'm gonna behind these books and I'm gonna become this crazy guy and stuff like that. But like, uh, but you have like this primordial thing. Instead, we teach we, we teach children this stuff like the primordial thing, like uh, that the justice system is like that's what's more important than like um, like. We need jo the you know that Joe Bob Rex or whatever like he's a he's a piece of shit and we would rather him uh, not be allowed to uh, terrorize people at freely. Well, Luvenbro Luvenbro points out fewer drug dealers means fewer masters of public health and social workers. So yes, there is this very material need for this kind of stuff. And as I said before, the patronage issues, various ph philosophical philosophical reasons for them to be friendly towards the scum of the earth. But I, I, as I said before, I really think that what allows it to happen is this overriding. I mean, in the past they would just call this decadence and, and this is, this happens to people when they, when they reach the state, you know, you can sit back and enjoy people fighting to the death in the Coliseum or whatever. You, you, you these kind of games, you you made a good you had a really good metaphor for this one time when you said if there was a button that somebody could push that would like you know blow up ten thousand people on a live stream and they could watch it you know people would hit that button because they're they're bored and they enjoy the chaos and this is just something that happens to people and I mean not because they hate them or whatever just be, just because hey it, for the lulls as 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 they say on the internet right. This is something that's it's very specific to once you reach this stage of development. And before we leave, I just want to say, like, I'm not, I'm not casting this, like throwing stones here. You know, I haven't clean, I haven't cleaned the deer since 
I was like a teenager. I don't know if I could still even do it. I certainly don't butcher my own meat and stuff like that. I don't, I'm not going out and shooting the hog to get my bacon. Like we're all like this to some extent. Some people more than others. And there's just no, there's no way around that other than you can have rules that people have to abide, like you know, moral prescriptions that stay constant forever, or you know you return to to previous material stages and by necessity you you change the way you act this is all luxury you know letting letting criminals run buck wild in san francisco is a is a luxury item you couldn't do you can't do this in el salvador this this is why they're doing what they're doing now you can only afford this when you're super rich and you and you have a lot of leeway you know what's once we get docs, I'm going to post. You remember that picture? I have a picture of myself where um, <laughs> I'm wearing the most wasp uniform you can pop. Like, it's like a, um, I have on deck shoes, like John Stock, uh, Ralph Lauren, John Stockton's, and, uh, like, uh, I don't even know what you call it, but like, where these, like, over the top, like, wool or something kind of sweater that's all, it's all Ralph Lauren stuff. And I'm wearing that. And I'm standing next to a guy in a Batman outfit, and we're skinning uh we're skinning a deer at night. Uh, it, basically, it was Halloween, and um, uh, this this uh this this girl that we know she hit a deer, and uh, I don't know we skinned it. I don't, it's a bizarre, it's a hilarious looking photo. Anyways, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> bog yacht. <laughs> yeah, I I uh. I think I'm going to enter my truck in a uh, car show. I, I'll month. just remind you that whenever you text me on my phone, it pops up with a little picture of you holding a a giant bag of something that appears to be uh, <laughs> marijuana, and that is that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so, anyways, um, uh, Steve Saylor did some tweets about uh about uh huey long uh today did you see those <laughs> no but I saw, I saw dilbert make some steve sailor tweets and get fired <laughs> yeah uh so the steve sailor thing so he's uh i don't know i don't know there's nothing to say about this but uh we have to do uh huey long news whatever uh <clears throat> i don't know how this is how this is related but he also says uh Southern whites hated Hitler and were gung ho for World War II. They ardently backed FDR's anti-German moves in 1940, uh, and he said the anti-war sentiment in 1940 was uncommon among white Southerners, much more prevalent in the more progressive North, especially among progress among German Scandinavians and Irish Catholics. What do you think about that, Merrick? I mean, he. This is actually I don't I. Definitely the part where the people in the like the upper middle west were less gung ho because there were people there who did still have ties. Like that's where the more recent German immigrants were, and they did have ties to the Germans. But this was especially true in World War One, but it was still true in World War Two. As for the as for us being the more gung ho, I could believe that a because we kind of tend to be more militaristic than than others, and two. The, de- the South is a Democrat stronghold back then, so, you know, maybe just going along, following the flag wherever it leads. Yeah. Hank Williams, like, uh, 
junior and senior. So Hank Williams Senior, I I know he has a song with it's basically like um uh rooting for war with Stalin. Uh I think he has stuff about Hitler. I'm not sure, but um yeah, but in uh you know Hank Jr. has all these like uh don't give us a reason and stuff. It's just we like war in general. Um but <laughs> so it's funny because the the I'm pretty sure it was kind of true also yeah there were a lot of like bircher anti-communist sentiment but the the <laughs> the party at, the party really wasn't on board with that you know yeah yeah like the like the the the, the common chuds in the south may have been gung-ho for war with germany i don't know if that's true or not that, that i'm kind of skeptical but whatever i could believe that but i know for sure they we were a lot more gung-ho for war with russia than the people who actually ran the country were. Yeah. Okay. So, but here's the, the stuff with, uh, Huey long. So I don't know. It's pretty interesting. So Huey long, I mean, so Steve Saylor's talking with, um, uh, with, uh, I don't know. It looks like super right wing guys. And they're sort of, uh, the guy he's responding to says, I think there's over romanticization of Huey long as a socialist proto Bernie, but ultimately he was, uh, he was uh, no fascist, not much more racist than his contemporaries, and progressive in the context of 30s Louisiana, or whatever the fuck that means. Uh, but this is Steve Saylor's response. I thought this was pretty great. Steve Saylor says, Louisiana was really backward in the 1920s, lacking needed roads, hospitals, and textbooks. The one source of wealth in the state that could possibly be taxed to provide these goods was Standard Oil. Huey Long went to the mat with Standard Oil and won, which did his state much good. That's a pretty damn good. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I never, I never understood all these arguments about whether or not Huey Long was was he more left wing or more right wing. Like, who cares about that crap? You, but you, do, they do, people don't understand. Like, well, this is. I mean, well, this is one reason why we have a job is because the the patronage thing is that politics doesn't work like that. Huey Long doesn't refer to his, uh, you know, his uh, uh, Rawls book or or uh, Karl Marx to make decisions. People were obsessed with doing this with him, even though none of it matters. Like, what matters is, what is going after Standard Oil going to help your clients? Is that going to give you money that you can reward your people with? If the answer is yes, then of course you should go after Standard Oil. The 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 ideology of the act doesn't really come into it. It, it makes no sense to me. And you know, Uncle, like Uncle Steve is 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 correct here, as he often is. Yeah. Uh, so it didn't, you read further and it's, it's hilarious. Of course, like as predictable as if you look at the replies, uh, these guys immediately. And so this is right wing guys. And it's just so funny. Cause I've seen this exact thing happen with the left wing people too. Uh, so the, uh, they immediately start talking about the guys well, Huey Long wasn't, um, he didn't, he didn't go out. He didn't, um, he didn't go after the real problem, the Jews, uh, <laughs> And so, you know, but it's funny if you go to the left, they'll say he's a fascist or whatever, but I don't know. It, 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 uh, Steve Saylor in there, he, I think he says, or one of the other guys replying, they said that for some reason, Southern aristocrats like didn't really care about Jews. They didn't really, it just wasn't a big topic. I mean, and that, that's like, it, <laughs> it's so perfect of like the modern thing that like essentially the only thing people that matter uh, that uh, supposedly, I mean, 
in their minds. Like people that live in New York City, basically everything else is just doesn't matter. So if you live in New York City, like I assume that's probably like one of the most Jewish places in America, right? It's got to be up there, yeah. Yeah, I, so, I think I think it's actually in the world outside of like Israel or something like that. Yeah, or Scarsdale or South Florida, but um. So obviously you have to, what do you, you know, what, what do you, what, what, how do you feel about the Hasidics and all this stuff? It's like, well, they didn't have, they didn't have them living in fucking Alabama. So what, 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 like, what do you want? Uh, so th- th- that goes back to the thing. It's like, still don't really, I mean, it's not, it, it's not, it's like, I, I've, I've in my life seen people who were, you know, didn't like black people. They didn't like Hispanic people. They didn't like even Indian people after they bought a, a convenience store here. But I've hardly ever, I'd hardly ever heard of anybody complaining about Jewish people until the internet. Like, and I'm not saying that it didn't happen before, but just it was not a concern for people in Hazard County, I don't think. Right. Yeah, and actually, I read an article recently that like the like the Jewish population in the U.S. has consolidated considerably even since mid-century. So like, it's even more concentrated in New York and Los Angeles than it was uh, forty years ago, for instance. Yeah, I used to live in South Alabama, and out South Alabama, there was this famous story. There was a Jewish family living there, and uh, they were doing all right. <laughs> they had some money, which I know is shocking. Uh, they, they, they like, they put up like $300,000. They would say they'd buy a house. Like they wanted just another Jewish family in Dothan, Alabama. So they could like, <laughs> so they could like do, uh, they could celebrate Hanukkah with someone else that wasn't them in Dothan, Alabama. I don't know. It was a funny story. Uh, but yeah, this goes back to the, the leadership that like the, the whole, uh, real leaders don't have an ideology. That's just not how shit works. Uh, so yeah. Well, I, I mean, okay, that's going far with it, but this should be a secondary consideration for sure. Like the, like the, the, I don't fully subscribe to this idea. Like, oh, real leaders, they don't, they don't care. No, I think, I think people do care. And this, like the, 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 the problem with this, this view that's like, well, actually the only thing that matters is power. Well, I mean that's true, but it's also like to reach the point where you, like you have goal, you have a certain goal. You, that's going to be, I guess I use the word ideolo- ideological, even though I don't like it. Like you're going to reasons that you're going to have those goals in the first place. You know what I'm saying? I could see that, and the, this is a good conversation, uh, like to try to split the difference because obviously, like I think I'm more of obviously I'm more of the the only thing that matters is power. You're, you're not there. You're probably in between like the, uh, the only thing that matters is like, you know, uh, whatever Ayn Rand said or whatever. You know what I mean? You're, <laughs> you split the difference, but I mean, if I was sure. trying to, to come up with it, like, obviously like I'm trying to think like, does, does, and we, when, when you think of these classic leaders, it's basically leaders that, uh, die in office or they never they never lose they always they're always winning um they use and that plus uh they get an ism or they get like a several paragraphs on wikipedia like trying to figure out what they're what they are so peronism stalinism huey long all these great leaders like uh 
are who's the guy in Turkey added Turk and all this stuff. These guys are, you know, this is the, these are the, the hall, these are the hall of fame guys to, to now, if you would think about like, clearly like Huey long, there's something like maybe like, I don't like what I'm sure they have limiting principles of like, well, well think about this way. So there are leaders in, uh, inner cities today that are like, consider like getting more drugs and getting more criminals and rapists uh, able to do what they want to do as part of the package of things to deliver to your clients. Yes. Yes. Yeah, for sure. The decision to not do that, which I think, you know, uh, uh, someone like Stalin didn't just give everybody what they wanted uh, to. uh, I mean, he was very, very much pure power minded, but he definitely, had some uh print had some operating principles that doesn't mean like the operating principle is a good thing or a bad thing i don't mean like a principle like a moral principle but like uh preconceived notions or things that you're you're sort of shooting for or alleys to 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 deliver things clearly people like huey long i think he and in fact i think huey long had uh I don't know. I mean, the people say he was one, he was, uh, one of the best Bible scholars they knew. So, you know, he had a, he had a moral foundation. You know what I'm saying? Well, you, you kind of gave the game away really early on. I think when you mentioned, you said, you know, we're talking about Stalin, whatever. And you said, Ataturk. that's a great example. Here's a person who did have like, like founding principles that he, 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 like, his rise to power and what he did once he had it was not just cynical power plays. He had these like ideals that <laughs> you could argue if they were not very good ones, but he certainly had them. It was documented throughout his life before, before and after he came to power. He said, I'm going out. Turkey needs to be what well, Turkey needs to exist. And it needs to be this way. And I'm going to make it happen. And it wasn't necessarily the best thing for, the best thing that he could have done for himself to even to maintain power, although it did work out like he is a person who was driven by principles. This, this was a consideration for him. Like, like George Washington's another good example. This is one of the reasons why before everybody came so cynical about the founding fathers, he was so admired is that here's a person who had pretty much unlimited. Like he could, he could have made himself the King of America. And you know, he was the, you guys know he was the first celebrity in America, really, people would line up for miles to see him when he would when he come through towns after the after the Revolutionary War. He was a guy who had a mandate to do whatever he wanted, and he used that mandate to set limits on the power of the office of the presidency. Again, maybe he was too idealistic and he didn't do the right thing, but he definitely didn't do like what we were describing earlier. He was a Cincinnati figure. He was not a Machiavellian politician. Okay. Well, here's the way I think about it. And so, well, the thing about the Machiavellian or whatever, as soon as you're not George Washington, as soon as you're not the president, well, uh, you just don't matter for politics. So being in power, staying in power is the necessary criteria. So if you don't have that, whatever else you have, you don't really have anything in this, this conversation. The way I think of it now that I'm think now I'm trying to think of how this works, like with the Huey Long example, there's this great sort of uh, ideological uh, framework I've heard of where you hear this in the South. It's like, uh, how do I feel about 
X or Y situation, like um, uh, three spirit or uh, <laughs> any, <clears throat> uh, what's the thing where multiple people live together as a, like, uh, polyamory, oh, the DSA, polycule. Oh, yeah, yeah, polycule. Oh, yeah, polyamory. <laughs> the the like the group of people that live together, and it, I think it's called a polycule. Right. Um. Uh. The way the way Reddit.com. Uh, the the theory about the uh. There's a good approach. To this is this is uh. That's not in the Bible. You know what I'm saying? Mm, well, if that's not in the Bible, <laughs> in the Old Testament, it kind of is. Well, yeah, but I mean, so like, uh, but you know, something, something will come up and people will say, well, that's not in the Bible. So therefore, uh, I mean, I'm not for this. Uh, well, uh, I sort of think like that, like, okay. So Huey Long, his job is to be the most Machiavellian guy possible, blah, 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 stay in power, get power, exert power for his clients. Uh, but he can only do things that are in the Bible. You know what I'm saying? Sure. He can't just give you drugs. He can't, uh, get you medicine and stuff like that. Uh, he can forgive your debts, which he uh, famously his his the, his entire argument was literally this. I mean, when uh, when pe the people called him a communist for saying he was going to forgive uh, their debts, uh, or or I think it was the debt holiday thing, and he said, uh, "Okay, you." He said, "You disagree with that?" He says, "Well, I'm not going to argue with you, but." Uh, I've got my Bible here. Uh, take out your Bible and go to this chapter where the Bible says uh, to do a debt holiday. He says, <laughs> don't argue with me. You can just argue with the Bible. And I'll, I'm, uh, you know, after this talk is over, you know well, what I'm saying? There were two aspects to what long said about wealth. And the one was that, you know, obviously it's, it's wrong to let your, 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 you know, your fellow Americans, wallow in in misery like they were during the depression and that's that's fair enough that's not a foreign argument at all but the other one was and you know this is part part of where the, the biblical argument comes in is that like jp morgan being so damn rich is is bad just in essence that, that having that having somebody who's just that rich it's corrosive not just to to him which it is for the reasons I outlined in the last thing we were talking about, but just socially, it's bad to have these people that like these people around. So like, you know, his, his big pitch was, I'm not, I'm not going to take all of JP Morgan's money. I'm going to make him from like unimaginably rich to fabulously rich. And you can, you can argue about whether or not like <laughs> that was a good idea or, or would have worked. However, I don't think you can really deny that, the reasoning behind it, which did lean heavily on Christian influences, which that kind of redistributive talk not only doesn't do today, but it's kind of antithetical to the people who, who would, who would enjoy a wealth tax in 2023. Right. So, but that's the thing. Uh, you have a potpourri of choices you can make from the Bible to uh, remember you're the Machiavellian guy. You need to deliver to your people. Now, what you can deliver to them is anything, the potpourri of tools that are clear in the Bible. If uh, the people want, uh, so in other words, you don't start out saying, what do, what do my clients need? 
uh, well, they, they must need exactly what they needed in the great depression. Now you'd say, well, uh, has the Bible got anything about, uh, criminals? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so we can do that. Uh, we can't give you heroin and stuff, but, um, anyways, yeah, it, the robber barons and stuff. I mean, yeah, Rockefeller had more like no billionaire today has even no. close to what Rockefeller had. No, these people had uh, unimaginable amounts of wealth at that time. It was it was incredible. Like the, I, it it's, and and uh, we talk, I think it was Malcolm. We talked this about you know I, they'll do the meme things, but who was the richest man in history? And they'll say it was Mansa Munsa because he had the most gold. Like that's not that's obviously not true because having the gold means nothing if you don't have anything you can do with it. If you if you're living in you know in Senegal and in, in the middle ages that doesn't really matter these people were the richest people in the world at a time when there was more prosperity than there had ever been and they were in the richest country in the world you know leading that explosion of wealth like i'm not saying that nobody will ever be that rich again but it's very possible it will never happen again in human history it's 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 straight up a, a chance that's true yeah and they were also yankee bastards so it was good to take their money. <laughs> nice. Uh, nice segue. Okay. So, uh, yeah, speaking of which, and speaking of the New York thing only matters, I saw this thing on Twitter. Um, it's there's going this year, there's going to be a right wing influencer. Uh, they didn't say who, but who's going to teach, uh, teach us about George Jones. Are you excited about that? Uh, is, is he from New York or San Francisco? Uh, well, it, I think the implication it's, it's a New York person, but like, oh boy, that'd be fun. I didn't want to be mean, <laughs> but, uh, I compared it. I was like, this is like walk up to a black person being like, have you ever heard of Tupac? Like, oh, here's, here's a question. Like, <laughs> do you know anyone in real life, not on the internet, but in real life that doesn't know who George Jones is? Absolutely not. No, I don't think I do either. They have uh, to be really young, like a teenager. I, I like. I think I'm guessing that people who uh, they country music isn't like other music. Like being George Jones isn't like being Rod Stewart. Like even if if the record sales or whatever is the same, it's not the same thing. It's kind of like like Catholic sainthood. It'll be like us inviting Curtis Yarvin back on, and like I lecture him about locks, bagel and locks for like. 15 minutes yeah but like uh it's kind of like catholic sainthood like george jones is like there isn't any amount of records or songs that like rod stewart or michael jackson or uh or any uh, a contemporary artist could write to put them in like well let's ask fredo fredo you you know who george jones is right yeah of course but i uh, we kind of touched on a few things like this in the past i grew up in a place where country music was popular like I'm not a huge fan. Like I, I like country music. I'm not a huge fan or know everything about it. But it was one of the most popular types of music where I grew up. Yeah, and and people don't know. So George Jones is, um, he has the best voice. Like it's there. There isn't any discussion unless you want to put Elvis in the conversation. That George Jones has the voice. It, he's not number. Hank Williams Senior is number one, but. George Jones has the number one voice. His his voice is uh what's that that alcohol that's like uh whiskey and, and honey put together? 
was that hot toddy? Yeah, that's the one you're supposed to do when you're sick, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you need to make yourself Merrick, a hot you toddy, Mark. I got yeah. me a bottle of old granddad in there. I need to bust it up. <laughs> yeah, uh, his voice is like a hot toddy. It's like, I don't know. He's just, he's blessed with the voice. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. The other one was was Patsy Klein, which is, that's funny. Have you, you, you ever heard of Patsy Klein, Merrick? Fuck you. <laughs> we'll say it. Are you really gonna make me say it? Yeah. Yeah, she's my cousin. Yes. Okay. So uh, you've so you've heard of Patsy Klein? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, I'm familiar with her. Yeah. She, okay. My, my grand my granny knew her personally. Yeah. Now whether or not George and by the way, <clears throat> I think part of this is uh oh god, I watched the worst thing I've ever seen on the along these lines. Um, somehow it ended up in my YouTube feed a. Uh, they just made a uh, a Hollywood movie about George Jones. I ain't seen it. I ain't gonna give Hollywood. Mm, I no didn't money. know. <clears throat> Thank is, God. Is, is that why it's coming up now? Because they they're making yeah. a Hollywood movie. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. So so the people in New York now uh, they they watched the movie. Now they they they've heard of George Jones. Uh, that's cool. I mean, you know, it's like this happened when they that uh coen brothers movie came out in 2000 and for like 15 minutes all the rich people were buying bluegrass albums and stuff that's a good thing move a little money into the into the pockets of of, of our people you know i i don't believe in appropriate like well i, I don't believe, I believe in appropriation i'm fine with that yeah yeah but uh so anyways there was an interview with uh someone on the movie and who's that that guy that was on the, he was, he's a talk show host. He was on the daily show is like this, uh, character. John uh, Oliver. Oh, Col- no, no, not Oliver. Stephen Colbert. Colbert. And Colbert okay. is interviewing someone from the, the George Jones movie. And Colbert is talking about his love of George Jones. And I almost vomited. Well, Colbert well, is from South, South Carolina. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. He's a, he is the hick lib. Yep. Yeah, exactly. He's the hick lib. He's almost like the archetype of the Hicklib. Well, you, you know all these people, and it's like, uh, you know, that comedian who killed his wife. Pat, I'm sorry, that comedian who whose wife passed away, uh, Pat Oswald. He's Southern. I think David Cross is Southern, too. Like, there are a lot of these guys, they intentionally lose their accent and because they're giant Hicklibs who got bullied and stuff. Yeah, they're, 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 they're real. Yeah, I'll just say, there's, I don't know anyone that don't know who uh george and tammy is and uh i mean the george and tammy like that's a funny thing like uh i i've heard him say like like uh like when they were married he's like we really had no re- like we were a terrible couple but like we were an amazing singing duo and <laughs> that made like a bad uh a bad combination you know what i mean yeah that happened a lot he need he's one of these guys some guys need like the mommy gf that'll uh uh that'll keep them on the straight and narrow you know what I'm i saying? guess the only one that i can think of that really worked out with was johnny cash and june carter it worked for them is yeah that- i mean they they uh the famous story there is it worked so well they died within like what three months of each other or something yep it wasn't yeah. it wasn't long yeah, same thing with Johnny Cash. He's like Denise, the mommy GF, like someone to uh, <laughs> knock the bottle out of his hand constantly. You know what I'm saying? If you believe the the movie they made about him, literally, yeah, <laughs> literally slapping the slapping the pills out of his hand, yeah, yeah. You like 
I, you don't have the same le- and and George's last wife, he was married to her for a long time. Um and but like you're not the like you're not this I don't even know, you know, the Bible says the man should be in charge. I don't know if you're the same level of in charge if your wife is like trying to keep the bottle out of your hand, but some guys just need that. I mean, this is the thing about about this and I I, I don't know. That there's public life and then there's private life and it was pretty common in the past. And I don't know if that's, you know, the, uh, the, the Jesus approved method or just, you know, cultural inertia. But the idea would be a woman might, might run the household. And, but the man was, as far as public life was concerned, he was in charge. You know, you would be, your wife would be called Mrs. Bog beef. Right, that's that's how people would refer to her by her husband's name. What happened in the in the household might be a different story. Like I don't think there's anything incongruous about that at all. It makes perfect sense to me, but you know, that is that's how med households all work. By the way, the way <laughs> yeah. you describe, like that, that's very, very, very Lindy for us. And the women have like a lot of power, but it's just exercised in a very different way and in different forums. I guess that's the best way to put it. Uh, Adam Carolla used to say that in Mexico, the husband is just a sex partner. Black Pill Cat <laughs> asked, the man is the king and the woman is the PM. No, the man is the king and the woman is the queen. And if you're playing chess, the queen's a piece that moves around, but the game ain't the game doesn't end until you get the king. Yeah, but see, now this is not, I don't, this is not like, uh, and so in terms of ideal situation, I don't think it's ideal, but that's not really what I'm talking about. Like, first off, this isn't like not everybody needs this. This isn't the ideal situation. And like a lot of women, they need a guy that'll that <laughs> that's in charge and all it. And you know what I'm saying? The other thing about George Jones, I like so much is, uh, and I didn't know about this till afterwards that uh, George Jones had basically the same reaction. Like, so George heard Hank Williams and was just like completely obsessed and didn't listen to anything else. And was just like, I I have pretty much an unhealthy obsession with what Hank Williams Sr. I don't think I listened. I spent like years listening to nothing else. Uh, I remember I would uh, I'd be at work and just by myself listening to Hank Williams, and other people would walk up and then listen to it, and they're like, "You listen to this shit?" And mm. I mean, I mean, they didn't like Hank. No, no, and this mm. this was a guy in a band and stuff. But um, I mean, the thing like in. Uh, I think I like Hank Williams Sr. too much, like because because he shouldn't really exist above and uh, above like you know his influences and things like that. But I mean, to me, and anyways, so that was exactly what George Jones like. George Jones was obsessed. He met him, and George says like he just sort of he just sort of stared at him, and like he couldn't even talk to him. He was in, he was shocked. I, I mean, I feel the same way about Hank Williams Sr. Um, I think that as a friend, I need to tell you. Everybody, people love Hank. Southern uh, country music people love Hank. But I think you take the Hank to the next level. Uh, Other people necessarily don't. I think you ask the average person, they would put like Hank and George Jones on the same tier. They wouldn't say, oh, yeah, obviously Hank Sr. is the king. They'd probably put Hank Jr. up there, too. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I love Hank Jr., but I mean, yeah, I do. I mean, to me, Hank Sr. is, I mean, he's like a, he's a semi, uh, 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 
like what do you, what do you call it? Like you, half deity kind of thing. Uh, he's like half an angel, not really of this world. You know what I'm saying? Where was he originally from? Uh, South Alabama. Mm-hmm. And and you're from North Florida. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. I'm. I there's a good. I I don't know if I'm related to him, but I had family living where where he's from. I've lived in that area. Uh, I mean, I I have tweets. I've wrote tweets where I say like, <laughs> to me, the only part, like South Alabama is uh like the core of America to me. I love it. <laughs> uh, but Hank is he's the best. Um. Anyways, okay. Uh, we have any any anything else to get to before we do stories? There's not much going on stories, by the way. No, but we got a good one that we kind of segued into already. Let's, let's let's hit it. You hit the button. We make it look easy. <laughs> we make it look easy. Can you read it? South Carolina lawmaker proposes Yankee tax as northerners flock to states and droves. Uh, South Carolina State Senator Stephen Goldfinch has proposed a bill dubbed the Yankee tax that require new residents to pay up $500, move to the Palmetto State. If Damn, you, got, you, you, got, you got a train to catch, son? You can slow it down a little bit. <laughs> we, still, we still got 40 minutes to go through. If passed by state referendum, new residents moving from out of state to South Carolina would be required to pay two one-time fees, $250 for a driver's license and $250 for vehicle registrations. And by the way, we're a Southern-themed podcast. you got to talk slow. That's just part of the deal. Well, you know why I started doing that is I would read these stories on the air and, like, I would, it, what would happen is like the point to the story, the ver like where I'm trying to get to would, would come up like five paragraphs into it. You're just too excited. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. But I was like, if I wish like, you know, that they did, they, they, if they beat around the bush in the story, I, I was like, I, I had to just start blasting through it. But yeah. Well, the money, the money line in the story is Goldfinch told Fox News Digital that the proposal is not trying to stop people from coming out of state just for the new residents to, quote, catch up with the rest of us, end quote. <laughs> uh, let's see. Blackpool Cat says, I started listening to Hank Williams because he was referencing the Shawshank Redemption. I, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. Uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, Hank Williams is, is in uh, a lot of um, uh, Miami Vice, which is funny. Um, North Carolina mama says, I can't listen to George Jones or Patsy Klein because my childhood. So I'll put Hank on top. Mm -hmm. I know what you're talking about. Mm, that's Her, yeah. That's a really country music kind of thing to say too. Mm -hmm. Turdy says women help keep their men on track when they, on what they say they want. Period. That's right. Uh, Cicely boy says, I tried so hard to stay awake boys, but I'm wiped out. You're doing great. Merrick make some broth out of chicken feet and makes up that broth. Yo, I, every time I see you talk about the chicken foot broth, I just, I, I mentally say to myself, the next, I go to the, the Tyson store, you know, the company store there where you can get the, you know, the, the, the chicken for, for a, a cheap price and they got chicken feet there. And I just, I've always looked at them, but next time I'm going to pull the trigger and I'm going to make me some chicken foot broth. I'm going to tie a few things all together right now with an anecdote speaking of chicken feet. So I was telling uh, somebody else this, this week too, I, earlier in the show, I talked about how my grandfather had like, I think it was like seven brothers. He had a bunch of sisters too. He was like one of 12 kids and talking about how families are set up and who's in charge, the way it worked in those days, because they were poor in like a big Italian family, if you were poor, was the father 
took all his food first. Like he took as much food as he mm-hmm. wanted before anybody else could eat. Then the mother and then the kids in order of age. So my grandfather, <laughs> yeah, my grandfather was the youngest child, which meant that like he was getting like all the crappy parts of the animal, like the chicken gizzards and organs and you know what I mean? Like all, all the weird stuff that people don't eat as much nowadays for so And as a result of that, for so long as I knew him his whole life, if my grandmother got a turkey, he would just go to town on all the parts of the turkey that everybody else throws away. That's Daddy gets the big piece. That's a, that's a universal precept, right? Yeah. I mean, he might be so, you know, he's, but he was also the baby, you know, the baby gets some special attention. Uh, maybe not in med families. That might not, not work that way. Not in his case, at least. No, he, he ate last. That's why he got all the weird stuff. Yeah. Well, now, yeah. when you say the weird, were chicken livers part of the, the stuff that was left over? Probably. I don't remember exactly which organs. Uh, I just know that he would eat all the organ meats. And, that, like, to his whole life, he liked it because he developed a taste oh, for yeah. it being that's all that he got. So any I kind mean, of, like, chicken, turkey, anything, like, if my grandmother was cooking it, he would eat all the like stuff that nobody else wanted, like at the big family dinners, because that's what he was used to from growing up. I love chicken liver, but I know that it's not like it, it's it's a bad part of the chicken because you can get it so ridiculously cheap. But because of my, you know, half of my family used to be mountain people in the recent history, like we would eat chicken livers. And I'm telling you, if you never tried it, you, you give it a try. You just throw it in the pan. You can bread it if you're a coward. You don't even need to bread it. Just throw it in there and fry it up. I guarantee, well, I won't guarantee you, but you might be surprised at how damn good it is. It's probably my, if if you could give me any part of the chicken, I'd take the liver, honestly. So there's a, there's a, a type of restaurant called like a Rodizio restaurant. It's Brazilian, right? So there's, there's like two types of Rodizio restaurants. There's very fancy ones. Like I think there's a chain that's in like fancy downtown cities called like Fogo to Chow or something like that. I've never been there. I have no idea what it's like. And then there's like Rodicio restaurants that are like where Brazilian people live. Right. So I used to years ago, I used to live in a neighborhood that had a lot of Brazilian people. So I just went to like a a hole in the wall type Rodicio restaurant fairly frequently. And if you like meat, they're great because the way if you've never been to one, what happens is they roast the meat on these giant skewers. They're almost like little swords. Right all the different cuts of meat. And when I say cuts of meat, it's uh, chicken, turkey, beef. It's like everything, right? Uh, And then they come around all the tables in the restaurants holding the giant skewers. And if it's a cut of meat that you want, you'd be like, yeah, you want some. And they cut it right off the skewer and put it like hot and fresh right on your plate. And they just keep coming around to all the different tables in the restaurant until you're when you're done eating, you actually put up a little sign on your table that's like, it's kind of like tapping out. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like you don't want them to come around to your table anymore. So the, the thing about those, the way, you know, you're at a good one is like all the Rodizio restaurants will have like, Oh, you know, it'll have the, the tenderloin and the prime rib and the, you know, the pork sausage and like, you know, all that like classic stuff. But the good ones will also just come around to your table with a, skewer that's full from top to bottom of chicken livers or chicken hearts or you know what i mean that kind of thing hell yeah i didn't know this i gotta find one of these one of these places first off kfc sucks um i hate to say that uh 
but not, uh, I, bro, we didn't get a Popeyes until like five, six years ago. So I mean, it ain't like everybody's got Popeyes if you want fast food chicken, you know? You got, got churches? No. Oh, we mm-hmm. had nothing but KFC until like, I don't know, five, six years ago, whatever, and we finally got a Popeyes. Yeah, I mean, not everybody's got that. Well, and the further north you get, the 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 worse the choices get. Just so you know, <laughs> I ain't even, I don't even know what like I've heard of Church I, I, of Chicken from people from like you. I don't even know what the hell that is. I've never even seen one. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't know about it getting worse up north. <laughs> I ain't never been. I how, ain't. how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> uh, that's that's uh, yeah. Uh, my soul is still is still clean. I, I haven't been that far. <laughs> But uh, so, uh, the, those those things are are um, franchises. So people can do people can get into some weird stuff. So my local um, uh, my local uh, Popeyes, they do uh, they do chicken gizzard. That's what you want. Um, speaking of which, of chicken restaurants doing weird things, uh, if you go to the chick-fil-a on bim light in austin like uh every other month the the catholic college that is right there their cheerleaders do a bikini car wash it's awesome <laughs> Just, uh, you're welcome fellas you know this reminds me before i had i think before i had ever in my life eaten at a popeyes I, you told me this story where you went to a, a popeyes somewhere in the deep south where they did not use a cash register. Could you, re- could you, do you remember that anecdote? Oh, that was a, um, that was a, uh, uh, a C- little Caesar's pizza. That was, <laughs> okay. that was in, it was in, uh, New Orleans before Katrina. I was, I was a kid. Um, and, uh, this was, this was, uh, my dad was there to go to the, uh, what do you call it? The, um, he was getting his license renewed with the Coast Guard. And so he was killing some time. And this was like, this is in the hood. And the hood in New Orleans is not like the hood. Any, I mean, the hood, New Orleans hoods were a zoo back in the day. I mean, it was crazy. And it was like going to third world countries. So I walk in this, this uh, I walk in the, the fucking uh, Domino's, whatever, uh, Little Caesars. There's no cash register. And. I asked for like a pizza and the guy's like, you know, 10 bucks or whatever. I just gave it to him and he just stuck the money in his pocket and they made the pizza. <laughs> is this a com? Have you ever seen this Fredo? Is this like a, a thing that happens in some places or what? Not having a cash register. Yeah. Just, and I'm like a chain restaurant, not having a cash. The register. fact that it's yeah. A chain that makes me think something was afoot for lack of a better yeah. term. Because I'm sure that the franchise standards require them to be using a cash register. Because there's, there's that they have pretty strict standards about that kind of thing. I mean, Little Caesars maybe not as much as some other places, but I don't know. Even even at a White Castle, I've always I've always seen a cash register. The hotel we stayed in had razor wire fence around it, <laughs> like you were in a sandals resort, but you were in the continental United States. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It reminds me the rare, you know, it's a rare time when like I talk to have a conversation with somebody worse traveled than I am, but it was an older neighbor who it's like I guess never been to any place that, or I guess in the recent history, like any nasty neighborhood. And he's like, 
I went into the went into this convenience store and they had bulletproof glass everywhere and I had a little drawer I had to put my money in. I was I can't I can't believe it. Should I contact somebody about this? Is this is this legal? And I was like, Well, you know, that's now that's just the hood, man. But you know, like this you can go your whole if you live if you live in the right place, you can go your whole life without ever seeing any crazy nonsense like this. Well did you ever did you ever go to DC in the eighties? Yeah. Yeah, whatever you, whatever I saw in New Orleans, had to be uh, at least as bad. In, in well, they I, took us on a field trip, and they were really careful to, to not let it. Like when you, you're in DC in the mall, the Capitol Mall area, you know, you don't see the real DC. I, I saw part of the real DC by accident in the '90s when I was 16, and I drove there and got lost, and that was an experience. That was probably the only time in my life I've ever been afraid. When I was when I got somewhere, because like people were like uh, looking at me from the street and like walking up to my car and like, yeah, hey, what the fuck are you doing here? And that just never happened to me in my entire life. My my father's family, you know, emigrated from Russia to the Bronx, and like at the time, well, at the time they like got there, the Bronx was, you know, it, well, it still is pretty far out from what you would consider like midtown Manhattan or downtown Manhattan. So they, I mean, they farmed out there. They had a farm. It sounds <laughs> funny today, but like they had a farm in the Bronx, but I had uh, an aunt and uncle that just stayed the whole way through. So, you know, at one point they, when they were little kids, they lived on a farm in the Bronx, but by the eighties and we were going to visit them, Obviously, this was no longer farming territory. Um, they had sort of just sort of, like I said, been there the whole way through. Their neighborhood was fine, but like getting there, uh, I had seen some crazy stuff. The best of those stories being one time my dad was driving us there and we got lost. Uh, this is, there's, you know, there's no navigation or like, you know, not, there wasn't even like, there was no internet. There wasn't even MapQuest or anything like that. So in those days, this will, be a surprise to the younger listeners. You would have to go to a gas station and ask for directions, right? So we're or lost. buy one of those one dollar maps. Yeah, exactly. Fucking rip so, off. <laughs> so we like we're in like a in the the South Bronx, which is a bad area. And we go into a gas station and we ask for directions, and they and they don't know. And we think we luck out because a NYPD officer comes over. And so we ask him for directions. Now, what you have to know is this is back when there were like real New Yorkers that lived in New York. It's not like today when it's just like <laughs> the worst people from all over America. that just <laughs> all the there. hick libs of the, of the, of the nation gathered in one place. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like no, there, there was, it wasn't like a draw back then. This wasn't like a place people were moving. Right. So these police officers, a lot of times, this is just some guy, like Italian guy. And the, you would typically, a lot of people from New York in that era, like you lived in your neighborhood and that was it. Like you didn't go anywhere. Like you didn't know, you didn't know where stuff was, not even only in other boroughs, but just in other neighborhoods. That might as well have been China to you. Your whole world might have been in like a 10, 15, 20 block radius. You know what I mean? Like that, that's that, trad. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was it. So this was like the end of that era, but that was still a thing. So like we asked the police officer like, hey, and this was in the same borough, but but at the other end of the borough, we were like, hey, how do we get to like this area, you know, up in the, the north end of the Bronx? And he was like, I don't know, man. All I know is you're not <laughs> you're not supposed to be down here. Right. So 
uh, like that guy didn't help us either. The only way we got we got directions and we got there perfectly is all this is going on. We're at the gas station. This guy who's very obviously on crack overhears us trying to get directions. Comes over to my dad and he says, hey, man, he said, you give me $20. I'll tell you exactly where you got to go. And we were just completely out of options at this point. So like my dad just gave the guy 20 bucks, told, gave him the address where we had to go. He gave us the most perfect directions. I think anyone has ever given me directions in my entire life. Like he read it out. My dad wrote it down. We started driving. We pulled right up to my aunt and uncle's house. No problem. <laughs> this reminds me, this is an on-brand reference for this podcast from the Dukes of Hazard. Uncle Jesse had only been to two places in his life, Hazard County and Korea. And as far as he was concerned, that was one place too many. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, speaking of which, um, oh, sorry, we have to. Uh... Hold on, I want to ask adjusted for inflation, how much would $20 be today, you think? Probably like 50 bucks. That would be my guess. <laughs> Fucking tourists. <laughs> Uh, so where did this happen? Cheney County, Missouri. The replica of a familiar looking orange Dodge Charger was involved in a crash in the highway in Southern Missouri Sunday. The iconic General Lee from the hit TV show Dukes of Hazzard. So this was just one somebody done up. It wasn't one of them that actually got used in the show, right? It wasn't, I don't think, but I mean, it doesn't matter. Uh, there's <laughs> spiritually, it doesn't matter. It was a generally either way. You're right. Well, I mean, what's so funny is, um, let's, so I talked about for the Dodge, the 68 Dodge charger, which they chose for it. Know, it's 69, 68. It has a slightly different, uh, real. And they, they covered that up in the show with it. You can't see it super great because it's got a, uh, uh, a little, a little grill guard thing on the front, but, um, uh, <clears throat> I have to know, is it 69 or 68, 69. Okay. 69. Um, the it's, it's the most, it's probably the most beautiful muscle car ever. It's not the best muscle car. The best is a Cuda, but, uh, the charger is the most beautiful muscle car. And it, like, I've, I have a big tweet about like, there's like 30 movies where it's like, we need a badass car for an action hero. We'll just give him a fucking charger. Give him a 69 charger. And so what's it's such a desire. So it's such a desirable car. First off, it's like the best car. And then it's also shared is the most famous movie car ever. Um, let's move on. So we don't talk about cars all night again, but yeah, I <laughs> yes, generally, let's do that. I generally died in Missouri today. RIP. Uh, that's, that's the wrong trumpet song, but. You hit the horn and taps plays instead of Dixie. We make it look easy. South Africa on the verge of collapse as blackouts threaten all-out civil war. South African President Cyril Ramposa, Ramposa, whatever, declared a state of disaster with immediate effect as the country faced an acute electricity shortage. I don't, I mean, you know, South Africa being a basket case pile of dog doo-doo is not like breaking news, I know. However, I think what makes this interesting is that the U.S. Embassy told people if you live in South Africa, you should start stocking up on supplies like, like, you know, like preppers because things are about to get nasty there. And I think that's a step 
below telling them you should just flee from South Africa, which, by the way, if you're listening to this and you live in South Africa, you should flee South Africa. Yeah, by the way, okay, I've got to make a little statement because I saw a lot of responses to that that charger crash where people were saying things that... Um, <clears throat> so first of all, there were people saying uh, the Dukes of Hazard is bad because they crashed so many chargers. Okay, first off, they made 100,069 chargers. They crashed 300 Dukes of Hazard chargers but not all but a lot of the dudes yeah. the hazard chargers weren't even real chargers they no, were it's kits they were a, a kit on a uh on a uh, i think they were making them out of crown bigs they they three three hundred like honestly they don't they only crashed 300 cars and 300 chargers uh or fake chargers included that number and there's like how many seasons of dukes of hazard yeah, I mean, look on the bright side, like he said. Like, yeah, they destroyed some Dodges, but they also destroyed some Fords, and that, you know, that's always a good thing. Dukes of Hazard was seven seasons, only 300 cars, and again, they made hundred over 100,000 69 Chargers. That number doesn't matter. So, sorry. Back to South Africa. Okay, so <sighs> the, the thing I thought about with the South Africa story, the very first thing that came in my head was that... um uh, I used to listen to, uh, to a lot of, uh, uh, who's that damn atheist guy? Uh, Sam uh, Harris. Christopher Hitchens. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Also true. And there's uh, also Dawkins. And the thing about, uh, and so I never agreed with him on, but that's like the whole point of Hitchens is that Hitchens was a master of, um, rhetoric. He's really good at arguing a case. Uh, and like the best Hitchens is when he's like really wrong about something, because like the thing is, if you're intelligent and you're good at rhetoric, you can, in terms, you you can you can defend almost anything, and it is a real skill and it's important. But anyways, well, in um, Fredo's line of work, there's an old cynical expression. And I don't know if anyone actually ever said it or believed it, but like any prosecutor can convict a guilty man. It takes a really good one to convict an innocent man. <laughs> Uh, it makes sense. Uh, but so Hitchens, uh, Hitchens had a lot of different like bits, like, um, you know, like one of his, his best bit that, uh, is, uh, women aren't funny. You ever hear him do that? <laughs> no, no, I never heard that one. It was pretty red pills. Like the idea was that, <laughs> and I mean, it was, he did it very well. He said, basically the, the whole like women don't have a reason to be funny because women are beautiful men aren't but like you make a woman laugh and it's they like that and so like he's like they're they'll never like the only funny women are just sort of like ma aping uh they're sort of like uh copying different various uh male things but like uh there's not really even a point for a woman to be fine. Anyways, that was one of his bits. He had a lot of bits, but one of his bits he had was that the A was that the ANC, the leadership <laughs> of that party, was really uh, intelligent and and going to do an awesome job ruling South Africa. <laughs> Any day now, yeah. Any I mean, day now. Am I wrong about that? He used to go on about all the degrees they had, and these were just like the greatest guys in the world as soon as they got control of this country. And 
the um and then with the conservatives so if you look at like the i don't know if you'd say mainstream conservative but like now basically like mainstream like hard right or like at least people who write write articles and stuff what they went with was they said that basically uh rhodesia bad south africa good you know what i'm saying no i don't why what do you mean by that i don't i don't the rhodesia i think he's saying like you know there was all this condemnation of Rhodesia, so they just kind of anything that you where you were comparing the ANC to the prior regime, they were always just you know, no matter what reflexively say the ANC was great. You know what I mean? This is, we have similar things like this in our current culture today. Uh, A lot of conservatives did were against the ANC, but they uh, but they were like they kind of like uh, well, first off, like. The they they were, they were like I don't think there were any mainstream conservatives in America that defended Rhodesia. They wanted Rhodesia to uh, give up white rule, but they did defend South Africa's um, apartheid. I, I mean, I think that's just like the uh, Sathulu swimming swimming left or whatever. Like, yeah, Rhodesia was to the right of South Africa. So they attacked it first. And then after it was gone, they moved on to South Africa. You know, you had, you had the, what's his name on the firing line talking about how horrible Rhodesia was and how Rhodesia had to be destroyed. And then you have Hitchens like, yeah, the ANC is great. South Africa is going to be uh, a beautiful rainbow nation. Blah, blah. Like it, I, I think it's the same thing. It's just later in yeah, well, I mean, part of the issue, too, is that South Africa threw Rhodesia under the bus, right? Like, they, they, it's, it's, mm-hmm. either you guys read the Ian Smith book? No, I should, because I've, I've heard, I've heard things about it, but I haven't actually read it, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is they kind of, like, South Africa, their leadership figured out the best way to save their own hide, this was a gross miscalculation on their part, but the best way to save their own hides was to just kind of throw Rhodesia under the bus as like the sacrificial lamb that that would somehow, you know, I guess like quench the bloodlust, the international bloodlust to get rid of these regimes, which is just the opposite of reality. As long as Rhodesia existed, that would take the heat off of them. And that's exactly what happened. And, you know, South Africa, the the leadership of South Africa before the uh, referendum should be up in the list of like the dumbest regimes in the world, not because of you know the usual answer, but like they gave up nuclear weapons and they had these this referendum and they did they abided all the little rules that the that NATO put on them and it just it ended exactly the way you that that people told them it was going to end. Yeah. The thing, like with Rhodesia, what was, what was, I mean, so they had to have a, like, this is one of those things that, uh, BAP got in a lot of trouble for saying that the CIA was pro communist. Remember that? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's funny because, like, uh, they specifically were in Rhodesia, right? So, the, yeah, well, I don't understand why people would, like, like his explanation for this makes perfect sense. It's not just that, like, saying the CIA is pro-communist is like, that's a, a bold proclamation, but it's half the story, but it's true. Like going by what he says, and I don't see how you can really argue too hard with him. Like this is one 
socialist faction against another in the Cold War. Like the, you know, the, hey, the CIA, the, the CIA came from the OSS, which had high ranking members who were literally socialists. Like, yeah, I mean, do you think that these are people who are really have this deep ideological commitment to hating against communism? How did they feel about the Bircher Society, right? How did they feel about people like Goldwater? I they mean, didn't. come on. They didn't like Stalin. They didn't like that Stalin took over. Right. But- they, the Anglo. I love the term he uses. The Anglo-Soviet split. Like just the 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 phrasing of it is just perfect. and Explains it all. Yeah. There was a there was a power struggle, and the faction that they wanted to control the Soviet Union was dis- destroyed by a, a faction that was more hostile. That's yeah. it. It was it was a gang fight. Yeah. And yeah. And so. Just there, it's just just like the the Taiwanese thing, but and well, clearly, I mean, so I don't think there's there shouldn't be any. I don't think it's like a a, a, a matter of discussion. Like, so we did support the communists in Rhodesia, right? In, in se- there were several times when we sided with communists in, especially in Africa. Yeah, it happened multiple times. I guess, like, and uh, and so who's who's the big freedom fighter in South Africa? Mandela, uh, God, and they tried to make him like the most famous person in the world when we were growing up. He's, he's still, he's still like his name is like he's a saint, and if you look at what he did in his life, he wasn't uh, a saint. <laughs> so by the way, was he a communist? Oh yeah, he explicitly complained after he got into power, like, "Hey, you guys don't believe in communism anymore." That's super, super sad. Right, and so we supported the communist guy. So I mean, that like I don't know. uh there's a lot of uh, different ideas about the past, but I mean, so remember, this is a long time ago. This is decades ago, and the big bad United States uh, with those guys, they supported the communists. Now, in the United States, they did not emphasize how communist that these people, like, uh, who is the, the crazy guy in um, Rhodesia? Mugabe. Yeah, they just didn't talk about how communist, that, that Mugabe was a communist or, or uh, the, the dude in South Africa, uh, but they were. I mean, this this is not really a question. I don't know. It's uh, but anyways. So, <laughs> uh, and when we're talking about these these failures that South Africa is happening now, um, this is and like and by the way, like when I'm specifically thinking about the Hitchens thing, there's this famous clip where Hitchens directly gets challenged on this. They say they said like, I don't think the people in the ANC like uh can like physically can run a country like in terms of uh the water and the power and all this stuff and kitchens would always light up about this and say no these people are super super competent they were all uh they all went to oxford and all this kind of shit and this is sort of like regardless of however like um uh being tyrannical or or this way or that way it's like the dude in in Singapore was pretty tyrannical. What's his name? Uh, Lee Kuan Lee Kuan Q. Yeah, yeah. But the trains ran on time. That's the trains ran on time question. Like and the, like, there's more to the trains. Where like you know, you gotta. There's a lot of like bullshit. Like work you gotta. It's sort of like being married. Like, um, you want to marry a woman because she's beautiful. You got big titties and stuff like that. But like, <laughs> once you do, you're like in. You're like you have to like start a small business with her of like this marriage thing. You know what I'm saying? You got to like pay, pay <laughs> yeah. out a mortgage and like do all this, like, but you like literally have to do that stuff to keep the marriage going. 
even though that has nothing to do with it, like, you know, you thought this woman was beautiful. Okay, but you want to run a country. Well, you have to, like, print passports and, like, keep the power plants running and all this bullshit like that. And, uh, you know, you kind of, there's, like, a core competency or even a desire need to do that. And this is what they can't do anymore. And this is, like, a government, a government, like, what is a government? I mean, there's different, like, there are things like a mafias are very similar to governments, but a government has very specific things going back to Roman time. A government uh, is the people who uh, keep the water flowing and the, and the streets paved. If you can't do that. You're not a government anymore. And I don't know what's going on here in South Africa. Uh, you know, uh, for whatever reason, the government of, South Africa is not able to this is not a place that's like bereft of resources by the way and it was kind of the same story with Rhodesia before it was Zimbabwe Rhodesia was a like a, a net grain exporter they and then you know 10 10 20 years down the line they're relying on food aid to to stop mass starvation like for whatever reason the this government is not able to even keep the lights on, which is the most basic, the most like basic thing you have to do as a government in, in the modern era. And, and you know, I, nobody talks about, uh, no, they all kind of, everybody collectively just pretended this, these two countries didn't exist after the two thousands. And it became clear that this wasn't a temporary setback. They're just going to become shithole countries forever. And, you know, I guess, I, I don't know. What would be, I don't know enough about South African politics to say, like, what would be the, the good outcome? Like, who, who's in, on, in, the, in the bullpen who could step up and fix this? From what I understand, the next biggest political party in, in terms of power is, like, this group of people who want to just straight up seize more land from white people and, you know, racial grievance stuff. The boar, the boar got fucked up because first, so uh, from what I understand, the boar, there were, there were not like huge tribes of people there in South Africa when the boar got there, right? Could you repeat that? If I understand, yeah, there, there was nobody, like there was basically nobody. The Bantu came after yes. the, the boars that already. Right. There were some. Thing. Khoisan or whatever people there and some Bush people, they mostly got massacred and pushed out. Yes, and this is not like their ancestral homeland by any means. Like some of them got there at the same time as as the the boar and some yeah. So the boar get there, and the problem with the boar is uh, they these people they had nothing to do with the British, right? They were. It's very complicated because in South Africa you have the boar who were who were. Dutch and they were not fr well, in friendly terms with the British at all, and there were also British South African people there. So like it, it's complicated, but yeah, they had a war with them in, in in at the turn of the 20th century. I don't know. It just feels like being in the the the, the Confederate, where you get on the bad side of basically everything. Uh, I don't know. The the British could have saved the Confederacy, but the um that was the that was the whole idea, I think. Anyway, but. Right. <laughs> there was a, I saw a tweet today, and I won't say it's a funny tweet. It was kind of sad. It was about the South African thing. It was like to picture these two. I'm sure they're very nice ladies, but like they're part of a 
socialist slash progressive liberal political party in South Africa. And they're two nice little white ladies. And like they're you know exactly what their their demands are. And the guy was like, This the, the real black pill is that there are still like <laughs> white liberal women in South Africa that still exists. Like Good. what they must be living in hog heaven now. It, it just reminds me and I might have mentioned this on the podcast before, but like, you know, in not not in South Africa, but in Rhodesia, like the last, uh, he might not have been the last, I think Ian Smith was prime minister last, but like one of his liberal opponents who was prime minister at one point, like he stayed in, uh, I mean, a lot of them stayed in Rhodesia after it became Zimbabwe, but he like supported Mugabe's political party. He was part of the political party for a while after the revolution and he had a falling out with Mugabe when you know he wasn't the, the he wasn't the Karl Marx figure that he was expecting but long story short uh, because of these political differences uh, Mugabe had his daughter gang raped daughter of a man who's a prime minister he was a member of parliament in Mugabe's government maybe not then but at one time and he had her like he has me like his revenge just sexually assault this woman. And it's like, I don't, you know, when people come to power and the way they come to power is through like racial tribal grievance stuff, because like part of the, like part of the conflict ironically between Mugabe, I think it was Todd was the name of this prime minister was that Mugabe just started slaughtering uh, a, a rival black tribe, people who were part of a different ethnicity, but they were still black. He, he was slaughtering them hand over foot. And, you know, Todd was like, you can't do this. It's not what we've signed up for. But like, it is what you signed up for when you, like, if you, if you, if you join a revolution that's based around these kind of ideas, this is going to happen eventually. And no, they're not going to ever form any kind of functional government there. How could you, how could you possibly do that when like you're in the entire the basis of your nation is now bandit looters who have been elevated to a, to a, a fake government. I, I don't know. I understand if you lived in, there are people who lived in South Africa, you know, as long as we've lived in the United States. So they don't want to leave their home. And I understand that, but it's like, you probably should leave. If, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you have the means, you should probably get the hell out of there. Uh, yeah. I guess there's something they don't see because we see so many of them. And they say, uh, well, I can't leave here. That's where I'm from here. I mean, you know, my ancestors lived in, lived in, uh, Northern Ireland and Scotland. Yeah, well, and, you know, there's also, I mean, who, it, it, if you were a white South African and you decided you wanted to leave tomorrow, it might not be easy for you. They, who's, they ain't going to give you refugee status. Like the people, the, the people who run our Russia, country, Russia well, will take them. And Aust- Australia did for a very, very like. There's a ton of them in Australia. Maybe things have changed, but but like over yeah. the past however many years, like I think Australia took almost all of them. Took in a lot of Greeks. After, well, after well, the West. The- you know, this is all painted in a question of like social justice and all this stuff, but that's not really what ha- like uh, you know w- the West. Uh, we wanted Mukabe to run the country. This was the idea. So Ian Smith is a. Ian Smith is worse than Mugabe. That was the idea from the Americans. Let's, um, uh, let's here's our um, quote. <clears throat> Drink of water here, but Mugabe also reached out to many in the white community, and particularly 
and particularly former leaders and administrators, to help him run the country. Mm-hmm. Many whites who had feared the transition began to refer to him as good old Bob. Mugabe needed their support. He could not run the country without them, and he needed to know where the money was. In this, he was greatly assisted by the international community. They pledged $900 million during his first year. However, once he was ensconced in power, Mugabe's attitude changed. In 1981, he called for a one-party state and began arresting all whites, saying, we will kill those snakes among, among us. We will smash them completely. Mugabe was even harsher towards his former comrades in arms. He forced Nakomo out of the cabinet and sent a North Korean trained paramilitary group, the 5th Brigade, to terrorize Matabeleland, mm-hmm. Nakomo's regional stronghold. As one ZANU minister put it, Nakomo and his guerrillas are germs in the country's wounds and they will have to be cleaned up with iodine. The patient will scream a bit. Uh, the operation was called uh, Gukarunda Hundi, a Shona word that means wind that blows away the chaff before the spring rains. Many veterans from the fight <laughs> against white rule resisted. In retaliation, Matabeland was effectively sealed off and 400,000 people were starved. As one of Mugabe's henchmen of a great officer stated, first you will eat your chickens, then your goats, then your cattle, then your donkeys. Then you will eat your children and finally you will eat the dissonance. Well, this is this is big good old Bob that, that like the American CIA wanted to rule this country. This was a better person to run the country. Like whatever that is, isn't as bad as Ian Smith. That's what the Americans believe. I, you know, I, I, I bounce back and forth on this to, you know, how much is this is cynical, straight up politics, you know, and how much of this is just, this is really what these people believe. Like, and it's possible that they, that even in the past, they did really believe that, you know, if you did, if you handed the country over to uh, this guerrilla leader, that he would turn, you know, he would turn like Rhodesia into Wakanda. Like this is that they're being held back by Ian Smith and his evil, you know, evil Kino Rhodesian Bush Army guys, and that's all we'll have to do, and things will work out great. And like my initial reaction is, no, they couldn't have possibly believed that. But you know, you look at how they run their cities today in america and maybe they do like maybe they really just believe that's how this is how it works it's like that you know, that there's a source of e like a source of evil in the world and once you remove that source everybody's going to become uh, george jetson futuristic happy people I, I i don't know like what do you think do you think this is just pure cynical power politics uh, well um uh, well i don't know I like it's 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 weird. Like, is this politics? Like, what I do know is that whatever the American foreign policy establishment saw in someone like Ian Smith was like, okay, we have to stop this. Mugabe died like in his nineties or whatever. Nothing they saw in his rule was like, we need to stop this. I mean, remember, like, I mean, they tried to stop. Like, American rulers were like, we got to stop um, uh, uh, Castro. But like you know, uh, I, and like remember, Ian Smith ruling Rhodesia is just as far away as Mugabe ruling Zimbabwe. It's it's the same place, but one place, uh, like needs like constant, uh, uh, you know, statements about it and stuff like that. And like we got we got to we got to we need to hand over power to Mugabe. That's very important. 
is very important. Uh, and like, so in, it's, um, <clears throat> the economy has collapsed in Zimbabwe thanks to Mugabe's terrible policies. Starvation is common. Epidemics of cholera regularly sweep the country. Mugabe succeeds because he understands that it does not matter what happens to the people provided he makes sure to pay the army. And despite regular media speculation, so far he has always managed to do so and kept himself in office well into his 80s. He has reduced a once-thriving agricultural exporting nation into one that depends on foreign aid. Mm -hmm. Mugabe is certainly horrible for what he's done to people he rules, but he is a master of the rules to rule by. Where policy matters most when it comes to paying off cronies, he has delivered. All right, I'll... I'll preface this with it's long been American foreign policy to oppose colonialism. And I mean, that goes well, well back to the, to the very start of our nation. And I'll, I'll just say his first name because I keep inviting the the dang guy to come on our podcast, but he says it doesn't do them. You You know, our boy Graham, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Graham made a good point the other day. That's a smart son of a bitch. He's yeah. He he's like a big brain wasp guy. I'd love to get him on the podcast, but he won't. I won't. I won't give. I won't give. His name's Graham. Anyway, he made a good point that like you know the Mon the Monroe Doctrine, our famous doctrine is basically European keep your grubby pans out of the Western Hemisphere. That was the the British Empire. Not only was happy with the Monroe Doctrine. But you could argue they helped facilitate it. That sounds weird. Why would the British Empire, like an empire, be for anti-colonial sentiment? Well, who had the colonies in the Western Hemisphere at that time? France and Spain. So this was hurting their enemies. As with a lot of things you could argue about British and American relations, this came to backfire against them incredibly after the end of World War II and the balance of power shifted permanently. And you saw this with the Suez Crisis where basically Eisenhower, was it Truman or Eisenhower? I'm I'm too out of it to tell you. But one of these presidents told the British that if you continue the Suez and this trying to seize the Suez from Egypt, we're going to destroy your country. You have all these outstanding loans from World War II. We're going to call them, and we're going to destroy your economy if you don't stop this right now. Why the hell would would we do that? You, this British is Britain. This is your greatest ally. The official story is is that we were concerned that the USSR could use anti-colonialism as a tool in Africa to to turn countries communist. So we didn't like. We didn't like this invasion of Egypt. I don't think that's the case. I think here's the reality. Not only is anti-colonialism like baked into the DNA of American politics after World War II, when we changed our national founding mythos from you know, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson to we defeated the devil, a.k.a. Hitler, and you need us here now for the rest of time to make sure that the devil doesn't return. And if you're talking about 1980, around the time of Rhodesia's fall, you're supercharging it because now we've added on the civil rights movement. And the, the sin of slavery has morphed into the sin of the treat, mistreatment of, of black people. And now that has become, in 2023, indisputably one of the most important precepts of the United States, right? Like this is like the most thing they care like, this is the thing they care about the most, the, the mistreatment of blacks is 
the most important injustice ever in human history, and everything has to be done to, to prevent it from happening. For like, it, it's ongoing according to their ideology. It has to be stopped right now, and that means you have to give us, you know, unlimited power to do that. Well, the existence of Rhodesia in South Africa is intolerable to a regime that that has this as like their spiritual mission in the world. It doesn't matter if it's fake and it's cynical politics. Eventually, the memo, the secret memo gets lost and the people believe the, the story that was created. And, you know, how do you end up with, with Zimbabwe and South Africa that can't keep the lights on? That's what happens when yesterday's cynical political strategy turns into today's sincere belief. And that's how you arrive here, if that makes sense. Well, asterisk. So, um, asterisk is, um, I guess, poor treatment of black people by white people. Because uh, Ian Smith was nowhere near as bad to black people as uh, Mugabe. Remember, Mugabe was yeah. like they had their little. They have their. This is something that comes up whenever you like. There's the big right wing dissident guy, right wing politics uh, Twitter guy is a conscious caracal or whatever, and so he he does all these. Uh, I've heard him on places, and he says like, look. You know, Africa is is like it's all about all these. There's a million of these different tribes and stuff. They hate each other. Well, you know, uh, Mugabe would like. I just read the story where he sealed off that thing. Anyways, I want to read this about um, uh, the same book where we read about how what Mugabe was like. Um, as some comments, and let's see, when was this written? When was Dictator's Handbook uh, written? I'm guessing. Let's see, hmm, uh, 2011. So this is from 2011. I get Mugabe was still alive then, but listen to this. The large coalition compromise deal with Mandela and his ANC meant allowing all South Africans equal rights. In practice, this meant that the voting majority was turned over to the very people who were most discriminated against during the years of apartheid. As a result, the country became more democratic and its people freer. Whether it will last the ANC's whether it will last as the ANC's interests become more and more to dominate the government remains to be seen. There is a real danger down the road that unless the opposition wins office and leadership is swapped back and forth between different political parties, South Africa will go the way of Zimbabwe. <laughs> like South Africa, Zimbabwe started out on a positive path to democracy based on a large coalition deal between <laughs> Joshua Nakomo Zapu. And that was the guy that um, was uh, whatever yeah. behead, beheaded in the previous story, Zanu, and Ian Smith's white-only UDI government. But once Mugabe became sufficiently entrenched, like he, like Putin in Russia, was able to overturn the progress towards democratization. He plunged yeah. Zimbabwe back into the role of a corrupt, rent-seeking, small coalition regime that serves the interest of the few at the expense of the many black and white. That line about him being like Putin is a load of horse shit, by the way. I don't think they're anywhere comparable. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just, uh, I'm getting two hours and ten minutes. Let me just throw this out here. We're just a bunch of American guys talking about this. What do the people of Zimbabwe think? And this is from last September. So this is not old news. This is last September. 74% of Zimbabweans say Ian Smith was better than both Mugabe and the current person in charge of Zimbabwe. I can't even pronounce his name. Uh, this is opinion poll. So, you know, the, the black people who live in Zimbabwe think Ian Smith was better than the subsequent leaders. So you don't need to take our word for it. 
Yeah, and just, I mean, for any listeners who aren't aware, I believe the white population, unlike South Africa in Zimbabwe, is effectively zero. Yes, right? they left. There, yeah, and there were so few to begin with. Like, there were, there were never... Even, I mean, it's a smaller country, but there were proportionally always much fewer uh, whites in Rhodesia than there were in South Africa. At least that's my understanding. Yeah. I, I don't know. And I'll just say before we leave the subject, uh, from, from Lord Yarvin, I learned about a historical thing that I have to admit I had never heard of. And that was the ethnic cleansing of Zanzibar. I, I, did you guys know about this? No. The, no. the island of Zanzibar, which used to be a colony of it was a German colony, I think, at one point, whatever. It, it, it was like this multi-ethnic place. It had like Africans, Arabs, and some uh, some Asians of some, some stripe. I'm not sure which. I apologize. And in the early 60s, they had a horrifying ethnic cleansing that's bit, that was some of it was recorded on video. There was a great, and I learned this from Yarvin. Some someone in chat probably knows. His name is the Africa Adadia Audio or something like Adadio, whatever. You can see video not of the actual genocide, but like just bodies in the surf. You they flew a helicopter over these fleeing Arabs one day, and it came back the next day, and. Same people, they're all dead in the in the surf and on the beaches. They were just straight up massacred in this ethnic cleansing revolution that happened in Zanzibar. And I'd never heard of this story. But if, like, like, yeah, of course you never heard of it because who in the American education system wants to teach you about that? It was a ethnic cleansing of Arabic people and some and some Asians by Africans. And it's just that doesn't fit into the philosophical and religious narrative that are that we have now it's just you know and neither does Rhodesia and South Africa turning into horrible shitholes that doesn't fit the narrative so you're just not going to think about it it goes into the memory hole by the way I uh, just pulled it up when you were talking about it it was actually a sultanate until that Mm -hmm. uh, until that revolution happened that's actually pretty interesting in Islamic State Zanzibar has a, had a really interesting history during like the 19th century. It's just, it's a it's funny. Like I said, I knew something about Zanzibar from the 19th century. I had no idea this happened within the lifetime of our parents. No idea, you know. And I don't think I was a person who was terribly ignorant of 20th century history. But hey, there's stuff that gets talked about, and there's stuff that don't get talked about. Uh, I need to I need to watch that movie. Um, <clears throat> uh What's it called? A- Africa, Africa Idea, also known as Africa Blood and Guts, and Farewell Africa and United Kingdom. <clears throat> I like that. I've talked about that before. There's a uh, there's a Star Wars strategy game, the same game in America. It's called Star Wars Rebellion, and in the UK, it's called Star Wars Supremacy. Uh, which, <laughs> you know, because we like rebels, they like. Uh, they like uh, the empire stuff. That's the idea, whatever. Anyways, mm, uh, I was always an empire guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah the, any, anyways, um, did you play Tie Fighter? Oh yeah, yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. Did you like X Wing or Tie Fighter better? Oh well, Tie Fighter was a better game, of course. Yeah, but which one did you? Which one did you want to be? Which one did you want to be in? Uh Tie Fighter. Hell yeah. 
I like the, the cooler uniforms. Everything's cooler. Sorry, Fredo. We're having nerd talk. I know you can't relate to this. Don't play I did video wanna, games. I did want to go back to the Africa thing, the South Africa thing before. Like uh, the thing that um, Bruce brought up was he said like um, doesn't matter like what you think about this country, it's going to turn into Zimbabwe if they don't if they if if the ANC rules forever. He wrote that in 2011. I looked it up. I can't find an election that they and see has lost since they've 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 been in elections since like uh and they win huge. Like they win like no one gets like within thirty like the closest is like fifteen like Well, yeah. like like I said, there's a there's a party that might win and they're just gonna be like we're ANC on steroids. So, you know, that might happen in the future, but it ain't gonna be good. Yeah, the only like like actually, like the only uh, the uh, like what you would call like op like opposition or whatever would be they're like fourth or fifth down the list or whatever. Um, I don't know, man. Like uh, so yeah. But once again, like remember that the well, uh, whatever. I'm I'm done. But just like remember the thing is like we have to act against Ian Smith. We we don't have to act against Mugabe. I don't know. There is a good question about like why. Like the, the Mugabe's, uh, like the amount of people, like the atrocities he was doing is just was just like, I don't think. I mean, they're just un ungodly scale. Well, you, but you but you know the answer to this, right? Like it's because there's a certain like mythology that the United States relies on mm -hmm. for its overseas adventurism, right? And when I say adventurism, I just mean like the way we do. Not the way we do colonialism is in like the Spanish American war. Like, I mean, like the way we do it now, right? It's sort of rainbow, rainbow empire colonialism, right? Like the way we do that depends on this sort of mythology that we're always supporting the right and the just, which is who is right and just is very, very much determined along strictly racial lines. So that you you couldn't actually go in and get rid of Mugabe because you'd you'd frankly be admitting that the earlier you know deposition of Ian Smith was somehow wrongful or not yes. or that he wasn't as bad in comparison. Like it doesn't matter how mad Mugabe bad Mugabe was, you can't mess with that narrative. Can I add that it's not just about the foreign adventures; it applies to domestic politics too, because their excuse for why. You know, the South Africa and Zimbabwe were bad was racism. And their excuse for why Detroit is bad now is racism. And if for some reason that wasn't why those places are bad, if they were just being horribly managed by people who have no business being around political power, then that, that asks a lot of questions. And like if you're just domestic U.S. politics, let's just say we're talking, we're wondering why is this ex school district. Uh, horrible why can't the kids read and, and stuff uh the answer must be well the government is racist and they don't want to give money to the teachers in the black districts but what if that's not the problem then you would have to pull on a lot of threads that would unravel the entire scam of of uh, you know american governance since the since 1965 or whatever and they just can't do that it's impossible and you know, everything, and it's not, and even beyond that, 
I, if you ask the average lib and a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of like boomer conservatives, like they would say the civil rights movement was the most important thing that ever happened in American history. And if you took that away from them, what is the country anymore to them? And I think that would, I think uh, autistic Machiavellian politics aside, that would be a real problem. Well, yeah. The biggest question I have is, so when you look, when I'm, I'm looking at these, these elections in South Africa, like I'm seeing other politicians and they're like, they bought, like they bothered to like buy a suit and you know, they're appearing before, like it's clear nobody else has a chance to win. So I don't know. That just makes me think of, uh, I wish somebody could take a look at my own sitting and give me like a real answer. I'm like, what are you really doing? Cause like, I would take this guy, there's this guy, you know, um, he's got a suit on, he's got like an ideology. He's got all these statements, uh, written up, but he has no chance of winning. I mean, there's like, you're just wasting your time. I wonder, I don't know. It's just, it's literally impossible for him to like, he's not even, you know, uh, in a lot of these, I don't, I don't know. So like, I, I don't know, maybe some South African could take a look at what, whatever I'm doing and get me, give me some real talk because you know what I'm saying? I feel like I see the situation very simple. Like you, like what the hell are you doing? There are certain sports, professional sports leagues where like you could have a team that goes into the season and you know, they're not even going to make the playoffs, much less have a chance to win. And you ask, you know, what's the point of this? And that is, the point is, is that there has to be an opposing team. So maybe it's as simple as like we need somebody who's going to do that to make the because people can say what everyone about elections not mattering, even in places where elections mean absolutely nothing, they still have elections, so they do matter. Having an opposition, even if it's just totally fake and their performance is perfunctory or whatever, that, that is important. Everybody's got one. They probably, in those cases, they probably are dudes are paid off because being actual opposition in a place like that is dangerous for your health as people who opposed Mugabe learned. Yeah, they're just, I mean, they're the version of like in the United States of our FBI because our FBI just sort of is out there pretending to be, mm -hmm. I don't know, the KKK and they're paying Richard Spencer, or, you know, like whatever, you know what I mean? That kind of stuff. I'm not, I'm not claiming to know the details, but that general, you get what I mean? Yeah. Oh, well, anyways, I don't, is we, we have any other stories? No, I think we're good. Yeah. Only thing I want to say is, uh, I've been getting into these flavored toothpicks lately. You guys ever have these? I didn't know that was the thing. No. Yeah, that's that's classic diner stuff, man. They would have the mint, the mint flavored toothpicks. I know that it's a lot, it's fancier now. They got cinnamon. Rogue makes uh, nicotine toothpicks, so they have flavor for like a long ass time. And like once the flavor goes away, you can just sort of like bite into it, and then you get more flavor. The only thing is they're expensive. And I like I looked up how to make them, and like the oil that you use to make them, it's still kind of expensive. I don't know. That's what's bullshit, but. I feel like being Italian is kind of, yeah, if there's anybody who would know about toothpick technology, it would be an Italian. 
Well, in diners where I'm from, what they would do is they would, <laughs> it, on the way out, there would just be a giant bowl full of them. And you would just, like, it wasn't like you didn't have to pay. Bobby, if you would have been in heaven, you didn't pay for them. You just, mm. you just grab them on the way out. <laughs> and then, like, when the, when the health regulations changed, this is so ridiculous. They had to start doing them so that every toothpick was individually, individually wrapped. wrapped. Yes. I've yeah. Seen just this. like mints. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, that kind of thing. As a Chinese place near here who doesn't do that, they just have the bowl of toothpicks because they don't. They don't. They don't care. <laughs> yeah, highly recommended. Check out the flavor toothpicks. It's a good time. All right, guys. Thanks for coming out. <laughs> Have a good night, everybody. Good night. Making their way the only way they know how. Let's go.